Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argerius and this week I'm looking for a very little book. <laughs> and to help me are two very little high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, my name is Joe. Okay. <laughs> really good stuff. Oh, lit heads, we've come so far. There was a time when we, when Joe could not riff on that, but he heard it and he did. He went with it. Wow. Oh, oh guys, I've been rebigified. I am normal Joe speaking to you now. Normal Joe's back. Yay! <laughs> oh, my name is normal Joe Holshue. Totally normal size. I'm a high school English teacher. And Nick, if you are looking for a little book, I recommend The Little Prince. Mm. Uh, it is a very little mm. book that sold very very bigly uh it's it's like the Perfect. the most sold book in history after like two other books but it's little i but so don't big. believe that it's bit, okay we'll get to we'll it. get into it <laughs> hello little nick hello little joe my little name is dr lillian young i'm a little high school english teacher and today for little books i brought story of your life which is a novella about aliens and humans and alien human hybridity Big ideas in a little book. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> Okay, so we've legitimately been doing enough episodes that I'm not sure if Novea is a riff on a joke we used to make or if that's the actual pronunciation. <laughs> it's not the pronunciation, correct? No, it's not. No, you call is it, it you call a Spanish? Is it a Spanish book? It's not a Spanish book, okay. uh, though it could be. I mean, it's probably been translated into Spanish. Latin. Um, yes. What's its Latin root? The Latin root is no- novum, which means new. Okay, he knew the answer. All right. Well, <laughs> don't annoying. test me. Please don't test me. Spectacle pushed up. Mm-hmm. Um, gentlemen, we should probably clarify little books. Now, these are not some sort of, uh, you know, it's not literature you need a magnifying glass for. Uh, these no. are books that are under 100 pages. Is that correct? I want to tell you guys a little story to illustrate this. A little story. Um, Great. My, my, my family and I were walking by a river, and um, we ran across one of these little free libraries. you familiar with this? Mm, yes. You see this? People. You hear about this? <laughs> What's the deal I, with? Um, that's my little Jay Leno. You see this? You hear about this? Tune in. Tune in throughout the episode. Makes a little impression. It's just going to be a normal episode with a lot of little voices. So we were on this on this little walk by the little river. We came across a little free library, and inside um, there were some board books. And one of them was little, little, little early, the smallest <laughs> board book I've ever seen. It was like three inches by three inches. I bet it's adorable. Yeah. Well, the size is adorable. The content right. is completely vapid. It's pictures of automobiles and trains. Whoa! And it has the picture, and then it has the word beneath it. Like, there's no literary literary value whatsoever. Well, do you? What about for a six month old? Yeah, my son has been carrying it around like crazy. He thinks it's okay. the best thing ever. So sure. I guess the it's moral of the story is for a little person, mm-hmm. children have no literary talent. That was the moral of that story. That's the moral of that story. Yep. What I got out of that story is 
Ian found a kid's book and said, this book is, has no merit. <laughs> and so I gave it to my child. This book is useless for me, an adult large man. <laughs> Worthless in the world. Joe, do you know what flash fiction is? Oh, I do know what flash fiction is. Um, do you want me to answer or do you just want me to say that? Yes, I do. And tell me what flash fiction is. <laughs> All right. This is a, uh, this is a knowledge heart, check. You, you may yeah. proceed to the next stage of the podcast. <laughs> listeners, hey, listeners, if you don't know what flash fiction is, turn this off right now. This was right. a pop test. No, wait until Joe explains it and then turn it off. No, don't turn it off at all. No, it, it, flash fiction. So I, I think this was introduced to me as micro fiction, but yes, it's, same, um, same. It's, it's fiction that's a page or less, right? Like that's the, what it was told to me as. It may, maybe it has some arbitrary limit, like 200 words or something like that. Um, you know what I always think of is Ernest Hemingway. Oh, what? It was like a story and a sentence sort of thing. And I'm going to oh, go off. Oh, yeah, the, like for sale. Like baby, baby shoes, shoes never worn. Yeah. yeah, for sale baby shoes never worn. And he said that was a story. Right. Like that sentence told a story for sale. Baby shoes never worn. That's a very flashy fiction. Um, I'm thinking you're thinking more like, you know, 200 words a page. Yeah. I mean, I've always seen 500, but even 500 seems kind of long. It's interesting that flash fiction and I think maybe the books we do today feels like sometimes the shorter the story or the more restricted the story is, the the more efficient the author has to be. Mm. I run into this all the time with students writing college essays. Like students, mm. and I would imagine, come to you for college essays from time to time. And when students come to me, they very frequently will have something that's 800 words long. And the sweet spot for college essays, I'm not sure what's going on here. <laughs> Guys, I decided to... You guys just sound really boring, so I decided to play schools out for summer in honor of your summer break's beginning. It is summer break. Are you guys excited about that? Or did you want to talk about your... No, it's good. We are super excited about it. Uh, uh, Let me just finish my thought quickly. Students come in with an 800-word essay. When they trim it to 500 words, it is always, always, always better than the 800-word version. That's That's long story little. This is all to say, Litheads, even though these are little books, I would suspect that we have a lot of cool stuff going on in less than 100 pages. So you're saying it's this is a high-value proposition. Yeah, exactly. It's short book, uh, long, or small book, little book, large value. Yeah, yes. This is, yes. yeah, this is basically, it's a, it's a roll the prices back sale we have going on. Let's put this in in uh, stock terms. The return, mm. your ROI, your ROI, oh. wow. your ROI. Your That's o- my favorite kind of I. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, welcome, litheads. Do you don't know lit a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast, strongly where podcast. every God, it's so stupid. <laughs> it's, it's funny every time. Where, it's, maybe maybe in episode two hundred we drop the strongly. <laughs> no, or every week. Uh, I pick a book theme, and Ian and Joe bring recommendations. Uh, and, uh, of course we battle it out, pick a winner just to piss one of them off. And we have some show rules to keep us on track. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, gentlemen. Okay. Rule okay. number two, omit okay. needless words, Joseph. Joe. Okay. And okay. rule number three, only winning matters. Of course, we also have our shadow rule this week, which mm. it changes every week. This oh, week, sure of course, is Fermat's principle of least time, which is that it's a mathematical 
uh, principle that the path taken by a ray of energy between two given points is the path that can be traveled in the least time. So, Litheads, uh, if, you're, if you're playing along at home, please do uh, pay attention to that and don't mm-hmm. let that sort of uh, let, let that influence the way that you listen. And Probably Joe and Nick. The littlest yeah. line. Like, yeah, like the, littlest the littlest line. line. Exactly. The rule is quite clear. The fun fact about this rule is that it was proposed in the 1660s and people immediately said, that's stupid. That means that the ray traveling between two points has a mind of its own and can figure out what is the path of least resistance. And uh, Fermat died before he could debunk them. And he didn't before want to. Before he anyway. could be like, well, actually. I talked to a ray one time. Ray died. <laughs> <laughs> he died with his oh. secrets. <laughs> Uh, sorry, not to go on, not to go all Fermat, Fermat, uh, uh, not to go all Fermat on you guys. Not to go all all Fermat trivia on you guys. This is the third Um, time today somebody's gone all Fermat on me. (laughs) Oh, it's getting annoying. (laughs) Joseph, do you want to take 30 seconds and, uh, tell me what your book is all about? Fermat. So I can decide who should go first. Nick, a pilot is stranded in the desert and he awakes one morning to see standing before him the most extraordinary little fellow. Please ask the stranger. Draw me a sheep. And the pilot realizes that when life's events are too difficult to understand, there's no choice but to succumb to their mysteries. He pulls out a pencil and paper and thus begins the wise and enchanting fable that in teaching the secret of what's really important in life has changed the world forever. Wow. That's good. Wow. I would love it if Jay Leno just airdropped into more classic fiction. (laughs) It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Jay Leno was also there. Uh, Ian, your time has started. In the first season of Netflix's show Stranger Things, there's a memorable image for humans' experience of reality. The acrobat and the flea. According to this image, the humans are like acrobats on a tightrope. We're only able to move forward in time and space. In the story I brought this week, Ted Chang's Nebula Award-winning 35-page novella, Story of Your Life, a scientist gains the ability to experience the world in a non-linear fashion, and it changes her forever. Hmm. He comes unstuck in time. She comes unstuck in time. Both of these descriptions are vague yet specific. Not really. She doesn't really come unstuck in time. I I, I don't want to. There's not really a connection to. Joe just wants to insert another Vonnegut week. To Vonnegut. (laughs) He want to get. Vonnegut crazy? I want to get to go first. Okay. (laughs) All right, Ian, why don't you start? Listen, Bloodheads, in this show, there are very, very few kind of stable uh, constants, but one of them is um, if you express a desire, Nick will, <laughs> Nick will, <laughs> Nick will immediately that. squash it. <laughs> they, call it they call it Fermat's principle of contrarianism. <laughs> yes, it's the shortest line to uh, <laughs> shortest line to getting rejected. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, my book has a lot of, or my, my book, my story has a lot of um, kind of big thinky thoughts and science stuff. Um, it is, what you might call, hard science fiction. Oh, mm, okay. but, just 35 pages. But, I know, I know. But I think to, to get there, and really because it is quite interesting, I want to tell you first about what happens in the book, if that's okay. 
I think that would be fan mm-hmm. fan fucking testing. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> you know, we are, we so out. often skip this part. Like Ian and I yes, just yes, dive yes. right into the meat. Make sure so we get that explicit tag in this episode. I, I've been listening to recent episodes and just the 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 uh, exasperation in Nick's voice, and he says, "But what is your book about?" <laughs> yeah, what is it's it amazing. About? I even have to ask it. But here we are. Okay, every week, so. hundred and ten episodes in. <laughs> my book, uh, my story, uh, story of your life. Um, uh, it starts as many good science fiction stories do aliens show up on earth and they are talking but no one can figure out what they're saying now guys in this situation let's say let's say you are governments world governments and there are aliens and you know they're saying something but you can't tell what would you do who would you specifically who are you gonna call and don't say ghostbusters because that's that's copyrighted okay so just to be clear they're not shooting. What is the what is the scenario? The aliens are here. The aliens have arrived. The aliens mm-hmm. have come. Yes. They're they yes. seem peace peacefulish. They're they're just neutral. Uh, they're not shooting. They're not putting anyone in, in excruciating pain. They're not harvesting. We don't know that, Joe. Ors. Mm-hmm. They're just but we seeming cannot to talk. communicate with them. We don't seem to talk, but we can't understand. Who do you we call? We can't understand them. Yeah. Yeah. Do I have to call anybody? Uh, you're in charge. You have the red phone on your desk now. Yeah. Who are yeah. you going to call? I mean, and and Nick, remember, maybe they have access to like cold fusion or zippity zap ray guns or something. Like they they. So could. I'm I'm a world leader. Yeah, you're I'm a world I'm, leader. Yeah, In you're this you're scenario. World okay, so I start probably just start drilling for oil, right? Like, let's see if we can get some resources out of these aliens, right? Wait, drilling for them? Like in drilling their them? Skins? Conquer them. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying in their spaceships? Ailing, um, alien whaling? That's, that's what you would do if you were in charge of the world, right? Okay. Like, immediately try to conquer so, them. So uh, Nick is on record as trying to exploit the aliens. Hey, Ian, I think physical bodies for their nutrients. I didn't expect it to go that direction, and I'm really kind of curious what horrifying, horrifying... I don't know who I would call. I would probably just... Probably just start a conversation. Do you know what I mean, Ian? Yeah, but you can't. That's the thing. You can't talk to them. You don't know their language. Yeah. Ian, I have a question when Nick's done guessing incorrectly, or I have an answer when Nick's done guessing. Okay, what would you do, Joe? I think I would call a mathematician, Ian, because as we know, numbers are the universal language. (laughs) Good. Interesting. Well, they don't call a mathematician. I would call filmmaker Denny (laughs) Vinanaway. Hey, now, no cheating. Uh, <laughs> Nick is alluding to the fact that this this uh, is a super Nevea good movie. Got turned into a quite yeah quite excellent movie. Um, yeah. Directed by Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Villeneuve went on to direct um, Doom. Doom. Uh, the movie Doom, and starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson and um, <laughs> it, Arrival. He, he directed Arrival. Um, when you when you have aliens who are talking but you can't understand them, what you have to do is figure out their language. So, yes, mathematics might work. So they do call in some some scientists, but they also call in a linguist, and that's kind oh, of our point this. of view character for this story, Doctor Louise Banks, who is a linguist. She studies languages, and she over time learns the aliens' language, and in the process, she understands her. She discovers that these aliens don't experience language or time in a linear way. That is, they don't write a sentence a word at a time. They write a sentence all at once. Boom. So you know, like, exist. Like when we when we write a sentence or when we write a paragraph, we go a word at a time. Even if we have the whole thought kind of lurking in our mind, we have mm-hmm. to spell it out. We have to get it down. Got to start word. At the and beginning. the same thing with speaking. 
when we when we say something, we go in a linear fashion. So she learns this language uh, and she learns how they write, which is all at once. So um, they won't write, uh, a sentence will appear, the fully formed, the full thought will be already there um, as opposed to kind of building sequentially. So eventually after she- Boy, that's a time saver. Yeah, pow, pow, it is. pow. I bet they have a very advanced civilization because Joe of that. keeps <laughs> saying pow, 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 and there's a lot of sound effects in this. Stuff. Is it <laughs> lots of lots no. of onomatopoeia? Thwack, um, there eventually, was. over time, as she learns this language, she starts thinking in this language. And mm. long story short, this gives her the ability to remember the future. Oh, I love that. I feel like we skipped so many uh, logical steps. It's 35 pages long. I feel like he's told us everything that's happened. That's well, a good point. The idea, so so I said, I said they don't experience language sequentially, and I also said they don't experience time sequentially. So they, oh, we experience gotcha. time in a linear fashion. I, you know, I knock my coffee cup off the desk and it falls to the floor and then it spills. Yeah. So the, the knocking precedes the falling which precedes the spilling but oh, for these aliens but i love this that that coffee cup is already broken like that coffee cup has been broken it will be broke like it's not yes. even a matter of will be like the coffee right. cup is broken right it's just a matter of it hasn't happened yet right exactly i tell my so, wife this sometimes about things that get broken around the house right like when she gets <laughs> mad at me oh no she's standing behind literally me. right behind you <laughs> look behind you look behind you then, oh no! But no, like when I break something and she gets mad at me for being clumsy, I say, "Darling, that cup was already broken. Like the moment that came into our house, it was oh broken. My it God, was just that must a matter be of so when. annoying. Yeah, she hates it so much." <laughs> Ian, are there? Uh, are, can you teach us? Can you teach us? To remember the future. how this works. Well, to let me let me finish. Sentences. Let me finish. Let me finish telling you what the story is about, and then we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about the story because maybe we could just think in books and get too many butlers out there. Just you pow. know what I mean? Crank it out, <laughs> pow! But this is the thing. She's saying that, or the, the sorry, the story is saying that human beings can't do this. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, I got to give the kind of the other facet of this because part of this is alien story, but part of this is a uh, love story and the story of your life. Um, she's telling this to her child. Um, so she is remembering her child's future. And uh, she starts off narrating to her daughter. It gradually becomes clear. Her daughter's not yet born. Um, the alien language has given her the ability to think in this nonlinear fashion. So she can hold what has happened. That is all of the alien stuff and what's going to happen in her mind at the same time. I'm not going to get into it too much because spoilers, I mean, you, Arrival was five, six years ago. Um, but the daughter situation doesn't end well. So it's like, th this, is one of the, this is one of the difficulties of this. Like, if you knew the future and the future was bad, like, what would you do with that? And that's a really interesting conundrum. I would probably form some sort of addictive... Yeah. Some oh, sort of yeah. Some sort like, of addiction. Uh, something to yeah. cope, right? Something to cope. Yeah, you got to yeah. form an addiction. Well, yeah. Joe, what would you do? Uh, crime spree. Uh, oh, like that yeah, personal, a personal spree, purge. Yeah, he's gonna. Yes. You, so you know the future, and you do not accept it. You are gonna actively <laughs> yeah, change. I, I'd say, it watch out. this future. <laughs> <laughs> you think you're gonna? You think you're in charge? <laughs> <laughs> Have a taste of my future, baby. So, oh um, boy, this book. Before I talk about kind of like what it's, what it like, some of the big thoughts and stuff. Um, I want to talk about who it's for because this is an interesting, an interesting aspect of 
kind of the way this novella um, takes shape. It is not a children's story, really. It's not like particularly gross or violent or sexy. It's just it's 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 not a children's story. And it's not really, I would say, pulpy. It's not your crowd-pleasing sci-fi. I think it's for people who want to be challenged by what they read. So uh, the author, Ted Chang, is known for pairing these kind of sci-fi tropes, like a mysterious alien is a classic sci-fi trope, with kind of these big thinky-thinkums. Humanity experiences time linearly, or our language determines how we see the world. Um, So he kind of meshes, like, the, the, there's the familiarity of like, what do the aliens want? It's a classic. Like Joe brought an Asimov book, I think several uh, childhood, childhood's end. Uh, yeah. Several, several years ago. And that kind of has this classic trope of the aliens are here. We don't know what they want. Um, of course, over the, over the course of the story, we learn what they want. Um, uh, in, in the, the, um, Asimov book, we don't learn that here. So he takes these tropes and kind of like subverts them. And he also makes you think about stuff. He's also a perfectionist. Um, so I think this book is the stories for people who trust him. Um, he's a perfectionist. Um, he really, really fine tunes his prose and his plots and his characters. Um, and so you read this if you if you know him and you trust him and you like him. Um, my One of my favorite Ted Chang stories is that there was a story, a short story he was nobulated, not nobulated, nominated nobulated. for a, nobulated. He was nobulated for a Nebula Award, which is one of the big sci-fi awards. And he said, thank you, but I thank reject you. the nomination um, because I'm not happy with this, the way the story turned out. Um, it would be like somebody being nominated for, you know, best picture Oscar and um, saying, like, yeah, it really wasn't my best work. I'm going to go ahead and withdraw. I'm going I'm yeah. to turn that down. Thank you. It was withdrawn. Um, he he he, would, he just he rejected out. Uh, he turned he turned down he turned down a Hugo nomination for his short story "Liking What You See" a documentary. Um, he said he had a vision for it. It didn't turn out that way. Um, the editors kind of pushed it and, and and shaped it. And he said, "This is not the story I wanted it to be. I don't want this memorialized. I have enough awards." Wow! I don't need his publisher is probably like Jesus. Somebody shut just him take, up. Just take the, the award. award shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's a nebula, Chang. We all want a summer home. Uh, a story of your life did win. Uh, did win the nebula in two thousand four for uh, best novella. So there's right. that. He's got that. Going and they still him. call that nebby for short, right? A nebby. Uh, <laughs> if they don't, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why not. Yeah. Okay. So what do you guys think about this book? Is this sound? What, what, what can I answer? What questions can I answer? Right, right, right. Okay. So. Well, Nick thinks, I just want to say, I think it sounds awesome. Yeah. It sounds pretty this cool. This is so up my alley. It's gross. Yeah. And it's only 35 pages. Does yes. it read like a Lovecraftian? Is it like a kind of a spooky thing, you know, mm. where it's like a total mystery? Mm-hmm. As, when I think of uh, like alien short stories, I just immediately think about him. Right, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't know that's, why. That's a good question. So, okay, because I have a limited scope of <laughs> literature. Not, oh, no, he was he was a huge figure. We should probably do Lovecraft and talk about problematic stuff and, and so on and so forth at some point. I think as we a theme. did. We we did not do it. We didn't do Lovecraft. I don't think so nope. Um, we should though. Anyway, it reads. It's weird. So it's hard when you've got these stories where the main character knows the future. Because the author has to say, has to be convincing that the main character knows what's going to happen without giving away the climax of the story in the first, you know, two pages. And so this is kind of intercut with between uh, Dr. Banks's memories of her child's future, 
some of which are happy, some of which are tragic. And um, her flashbacks, so flash forwards to her child's future and flashbacks to the whole alien narrative. And there are bits which are somewhat spooky, certainly tense moments, but these aliens are not threats aggressive they're or no they're no yeah. not at all aggressive they're gro- they're a little bit gr- they they have they're they, aggressive they're gross they're, they're not aggressive they're aggressive no they're they're, gro- they're a little bit gross they have they have seven legs and they that's kind of gross they kind of how, like how many arms well that's it they're, that's just all it is five legs two they're arms. just legs okay so they're basically spiders they kind of radiate out in like a star shape but it's um, I'm afraid to ask you questions because the book's only 35 pages. I feel like it's right. impossible to not spoil something. Oh, no, no. There's so much that goes down in this. And, and okay. like and it's so, so dense. That's the thing. It, it's God, so what do dense they want. Is that the big reveal? No, that's no, that's say. not the big reveal because 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 it never you never find out. You don't really find out. And she kind of tells you this. Banks tells you this early in the story. She's like. Yeah, this is not like this. This was not ever the heptapods. That's what they call them because hepta seven pod foot. The heptapods never had like some grand plan. Um, it, there's not a climactic battle. There's not like a let's get on the ship and blow it up kind of thing. It's just like we have contact with aliens. We talk to them. We learn their language. They give us they give her the gift of seeing the future. We interact with them and tell them things that we've discovered about physics they they tell us that they they tell us that, that we're very similar to we're the most they say the the heptapods say humans are the most similar species to us that we've ever encountered and you're wow. like and how many have you encountered what's out there and we're so stupid we're like oh we only have two legs <laughs> <laughs> how could that be <laughs> um well um i have a question have you seen the movie i have i uh, okay. i actually teach similarities both. differences oh cuz i've seen the movie yeah. it's quite good as we've established in yes. uh, in this episode, it's good and uh, it it is a pretty different like alien movie it in is. terms of like yes. um, tropes. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it pretty much avoids most of most them? of them. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you've seen the alien, if you've seen the, the movie Arrival, like there there is a little. You know what I'm saying with some of the grotesque, um, like the 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 visuals. Um, uh, the aliens are very much non-human, but I would say I would say there's a pretty good a pretty good mapping. There's Hollywoodizing, of course, uh, simplifying. Um, I would say the story is more hard sci-fi than the movie is hard sci-fi. How does it get into hard sci-fi? Like, is it Joe's math? Does there's does math, math come up a lot? There, there's the like prime numbers. Okay, let me tell you. Um, does it go over? Does it? Do- is it do you the multiplication tables? <laughs> I think There's it kind of it it. takes it as a given that you um, that you uh, understand math. You know the multiplication. You know that five plus three oh, times six okay. is two two hundred and twenty five. Um, okay. So um, Chang is extremely smart and extremely tapped into like actual science stuff, and so according to him, he was hanging around with physicists and playwrights. And he was thinking about something called the variational principle in physics. Now, I did some searching on the variational principle. I have no idea. I can't understand this. Doesn't I don't get it. I don't get lame. it. It's like it's yeah. like one of those higher level things. You have to have so much high level foundational mm-hmm. knowledge. It's just it's. But so he under, understands this, I guess. And his understanding of this led him. He's like, huh, I could do a story based on that. There's also this idea of 
uh, linguistic relativity or linguistic determinism, which is um, it, the movie talks about the sapir whorf hypothesis, uh, which is basically that uh, stated that the, the language you use shapes the way you, you view the world. So um, this is another kind of um, legitimate linguistic concept. And Sh uh, 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 Chang, through the voice of his linguist Banks, kind of plays with this idea. And he, he proposes that that human beings, not just the way we, not just our language, but the sources of our language mean that we think in this linear fashion. So I'm just going to read a, a quick little quote that says this very nicely and, and briefly, better than I could, because it's really complex stuff. Uh, she says, she's kind of like pontificating about, about language and stuff. And she says, when the ancestors of humans and aliens first acquired the spark of consciousness, they both perceived the same physical world, but they parsed their perceptions differently. The worldviews that ultimately arose were the end result of that divergence. Humans had developed a sequential mode of awareness. I knocked the coffee cup off. It falls. It spills. It breaks. While heptapods, the aliens, had developed a simultaneous mode of awareness. We experienced events in order and, and perceived their relationship as cause and effect. They experienced events all at once and perceived a purpose underlying them all. So this is saying our way of talking and writing and perceiving the world yields a sense that what we do can impact the world around us. The heptapods experiencing speaking, writing in chunks all at once see things as just sort of falling into place, things just happening. And when you say things just happen, you're much less likely to say, oh, well, I can change things. You're much more likely to have kind of this, we've talked about on the show before, teleology. There's some big purpose. There's some big arc that is leading us to go to this planet and meet these humans and talk to them and then leave mysteriously. So the way that they talk and the way that they see the world shapes how they think about the world. And that is just, it's one of those things that you can't really get outside of. I don't know though how my linguistic skill set shapes the way I see the world. I don't know. You, you guys have this too. You have... Sounds like some socialist propaganda. What do you think, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> you, no, I, no I, I love this idea. Like, this just is the, you know, where the Venn diagram of, like, language and science fiction and, and all that crosses over. This is just beautiful. Um, this idea, this is like a really simple, simplified version of this. So one of the ways I've seen this come about is people who are raised with Chinese as their first language, in Chinese, numbers work a little bit differently. So if you learn to count in English, for example, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Once we get to the teens, we say something like 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and that tens place in that word comes second. Like, like, like it changes. Do you see that? Like when you say mm -hmm. 22, the tens place comes first. When you say 13, the tens place comes second. In the Chinese language, 
there's total symmetry mm-hmm. in how the numbers mm-hmm. are built mm-hmm. throughout hand. So it's much more like falling into grids, falling into columns very Same. neatly in your mind. And just, you don't have to do this um, transposition Extra of digits. Right. right. That's really interesting. interesting. Joe bringing it That's with good. them words. That's good. And numbers. Yeah. Ian, does your book get into that at all? Into, into it's only 35 pages there's no way it could well it does it's a, half of it's a multiplication table so i don't know <laughs> yeah there are a lot of <laughs> charts a lot of pages. graphs the first 15 pages is a mathematical proof the last thing i want to talk about uh before we move on is the idea of linearity because this is another so yeah, linguistic relativism like our uh, our language shapes how we see the world that's that's part of it that's one of the big ideas but the other is this linearity um, I'm going to do some, let's do some word association real quick. You guys know how this I goes. Ooh, is this a game? Okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's a game is, is light. A game? It's a game with a message. Spoiler. It's got a message. Okay. Oh boy. So I'm going like to say a word and Joe rapid liar. fire. You say a word that is associated with my word. It doesn't have to be explained. Just go with something. And then Nick always makes it. me nervous. Nick, I'm ready. You're going to riff on the word that Joe says. Oh, this Ooh. okay. And then I'll riff on your word. And Joe, you'll ref- like this, yes? You need yep, me right to come up with a word based on the word that Joe says. Correct. So you have to listen the to The first him. word that comes to my mind. Yes. I'm ready. Okay. Books. Reading. Podcast. Microphones. Speaking. Jay Leno. <laughs> Jean Jacket. Um, Letterman? Sorry, I might be hung up on Leno still. <laughs> the 80s. <laughs> Stranger Things. 11. Curly hair. Uh, curly fries. French fries. McDonald's. Mm. Ba, 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 ba. Okay, that's good. Uh, this uh, episode <laughs> brought to you by McDonald's. No, we got no, you no, no, no. This is sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So that was an ad. <laughs> <laughs> we just tricked you. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, what, we, what we couldn't do there is tell where those associations were, would go. Right? So when... Nick, you said curly hair. You probably could not predict that I would say curly fries. Probably not. Maybe. But, <laughs> but even if you did predict it, it would be a guess. It would not be based on your knowledge that I was about to say curly yeah, fries. Yeah, I had no knowledge what was going to come out of your mouth. Exactly. I used, to, I used to do this thing when I was a kid in which I would try to perfectly predict how a situation was going to go. And I don't know where this came from, but I'd be like, I'm going to say this, and then my friend is going to say this, and then I'm going to yeah. say this, yep. and then this is going to happen. And if you ever try to play this game, I mean, you can play small versions of it as an adult, you realize very quickly that your batting average is zero. Yes. Like, yes. like, you can never, ever get it right. Well, and, and yeah, it, it's it's fascinating. We, we do, we want to, right? We, we want to have this sense of, of the scripted or the 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 awareness like oh this is going to go this way and that's going to go that way people pride themselves i had an econ professor once say economics to succeed in economics and to get really rich you need to be able to predict the future um but we in that exercise we couldn't tell where those associations were going to go so we could only experience them linearly forward as we did them and then as we remember back on them we're experiencing them backwards in a line and as they recede farther away they become fainter and fainter even now, this is where it gets complicated. We're going to listen to this episode, I assume. Maybe not. Maybe Joe doesn't listen to any of our episodes, but never. How could you? <laughs> I don't know how anybody does. When we listen to this episode, we're still going to experience it 
in sequence. This is this is trippy. We're still going to experience me saying books and Joe saying podcast. No, but Joe saying reading, Nick saying podcast, me saying microphones and so on. We're going to experience it like that because that's how we talk and think. Even if we, if we remember the general shape of this word cloud and this this string, it is a string of word associations. And I think this is one of the interesting things this book does. And part of why I love it so much is it gets at something about humanity. Maybe part of our experience of being human is seeing the world in tunnel vision. We see in front of us and we see behind us. We're the acrobat on the tightrope and we can't see other possibilities. We can't sometimes even see the parallel possibilities that are happening right next door. What if we had more eyes? Yeah. Well, and I think the aliens have a lot of eyes. That's also helps them. Right. So. A lot of legs, a lot of eyes. And, it, and a lot of squishiness. Yeah. They're like all legs, right? Legs all the way down, baby. <laughs> Oof. Tall drink of water. Do they drink water? Um, it does not get into what they drink. Um, but since this is not M. Night Shyamalan's movie, Signs? Signs. I'm going Signs? to assume yeah. that they're just fine with water. <laughs> that really doesn't fall into tropes either. Because it's just like water <laughs> is the big reveal. And it's like, oh, yeah. You know why nobody's thought of that? M. Night is because it's fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we can't drink water. Oh, you know where we twist. should land? Another the twist. one planet in the solar system that has 80% water. All water. Folks, uh, uh, dramatic, dramatic um, uh, drum roll. Um, Nick can insert the dramatic drum roll. We have our first, we have our first um, podcast, uh, our first um, uh, uh, book recommendation from the overseas regions, the non-American regions. Uh, yeah, thank you. Nice, thank you. Um, Is it from down under? No, no, it's no, it's not. No, it's from. Um, uh, Litha Dene. Is it from? No, I'm, okay. I'm just going to cut to the chase. Litha Dene. Recommends a book. She she's she writes from the Netherlands. Um, so there oh, it is. The Netherlands. The actual Netherlands. The Netherlands. The Netherlands. The Netherlands. Yeah. So she writes. I'm catching up on your podcast during the quarantine in the Netherlands. So uh, that's nice from oversea or undersea, depending on where your perspective is. She's listening to the episode about Jane Eyre, and she suggests the count- feminist countertext to Jane Eyre: Wide Sargasso Sea, which I had never read. Um, but sh- uh, in this book, the author Gene Reese gives the backstory to the monster of, of Jane Eyre. Um, so Danae also recommends that we read this next to Zadie Smith's book on beauty, which is a riff on E.M. Forster's novel, Howard's End. So we looked at this, right? And we say that's a lot of books to kind of put in conversation. That's four books. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know how they do it in the Netherlands, but that's a lot of books. <laughs> that's Danae. a lot of books. <laughs> so so what, do we, what do we do with this, guys? Like, that's a lot of books. Can we talk about all these books in, in one episode, or should we, should we do something about that? We've, we've done episodes with one yeah. book. We've done episodes with two books. Have we ever done a three-book episode? That feels no. crazy. And we haven't done a four-book episode, and we were not, we're not going to start, frankly. So oh, let's boy. do a two-part episode uh, on rewrites. Got it. So wait, rewrites. Hey, Nick, um, do you know what you're going to know Forrester from? E.M. Forrester from? Finding Forrester? You're the man now, dog. You're the man now, dog. Yeah! Oh, Nick, I knew you would know it. Yeah, wait. Right. You're the man now, Danae. <laughs> <laughs> Holy On shit. On that note. Well, that peaked. <laughs> that peaked. <movie. laughs>
Joseph, 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 yes. oh my Joseph, God. Joseph, yes. tell me about Joseph. Tell me about your little book. <laughs> oh, Nick, I have brought the littlest book. It's actually not as little uh-huh. as Ian's, so maybe it's not the littlest, but I've brought an awfully little book. And Nick and Ian, I've also brought an awfully little game today. Mm, game, okay. game, game, right. game, right. game, 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 game. This game is called Little Game. Um, I have written Makes down sense. a handful of properties. Uh, this might, they might be movies, they might be books, they might be rappers that have the word little in their name. I'm going to play taboo rules. I'm going to set a timer. Actually, Nick, if you could set a timer for like a minute, I would appreciate it. And mm-hmm. I want to see how many of these you guys can guess in one minute. Okay. Um, can I just do 60 seconds? Yeah, 60 seconds is fine. Okay. I'm ready. Hang on, All hang, right. on, hang on. Who's guessing first? Mm-hmm. The t- time Just shout it out. Shout them out when you hear them. This is going to be a speed okay. round. Okay. Nick, are you ready? Yep. We're 10 seconds in. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. This is a mouse that rides a motorcycle. Uh, little Stuart? Stuart Little. Stuart Little. Good. Um, This is a plant that eats people. Save Miss Seymour. Feed Miss Seymour. Little Shop of Horrors. G- uh, good. This is, oh, um, the Big Bad Wolf. Um, little Antony Running Hood. Very nice. Um, oh, this is a Netflix show that has a theme song that's like, have a secret, can you Pretty keep- Little Liars. Oh, big Little Lies. Pretty, oh, so good. Um, oh, General Custard's last stand was at this battle. Little Big Horn. Good. Um, this is a Kurt Russell movie from the 80s. Big Trouble, Little, Russell, China. Russell, Little China. Got it, thank you. Um, Alfalfa, Buckwheat, Spanky. Uh, little rascals little rascals yeah um oh this is uh uh, she loses her voice and ursula's in it and like little mermaid uh, Mermaid. good um that was a tie uh, i think i can i think i can i think i can little engine that could little engine that could and then my last one little richard sky is falling little richard is so good no the sky is falling is little richard i mean (laughs) (laughs) famous 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 And my last clue to segue into my book Mm. is this is the number four selling book of all time after Don Quixote, A Tale of Two Cities, and The Lord of the Rings. The Little Prince. The Little Prince. Ian looks like he has something to say about this. He doesn't like it. It does seem questionable. It does seem questionable. I I don't know that I don't like it. I'm just... Is this like, what are the parameters here? Is this like in like upstate Jersey? It's the highest selling book ever made? Like where it's the highest the, selling where? book two princes. Princes oh, love this about book. Little princes. Specifically princes have bought 200 million hey, is copies this, of this Is this book, book princess? <laughs> no, it's very pro-prince. Uh, okay. Yeah, so I guess that's How maybe we a never question. heard of this? Yeah, have you heard of this? Nick, you have not. Ian, have you heard of The Little Prince? Absolutely, I have. And I think it's dumb. Oh, I, I read wow. it. I read it. Okay, I read it many years ago, and I was like, I was struck. I think by how it, it's it's a little bit out of the ordinary, and I was like, this doesn't conform to my very conventional expectations. Boo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the thing that I that think this right. is at <laughs> risk of comparing itself to is, <laughs> I I think it would be really easy to compare the Little Prince to um something like The Alchemist, which is a book that Ian Uh-oh. and I both absolutely loathe, or a book like Jonathan Livingston Siegel, which is this like '80s kind of fably self-helpy like gross gross book, like this thin philosophical thing. Okay. Um. 
The Little Prince was written by a guy uh, named Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. I'm sure I'm pronouncing like three parts of that wrong. Uh, in 1943. And this book is, it's, it's outstanding. Like I absolutely fell in love with this book when I read it. This one-star review by all of the scientists says, my friend had to read this three times in two languages, and that has to be considered a crime against humanity. <laughs> so, agree, okay. agree or disagree, Joe? I feel like uh, we have a broad spectrum in opinions uh, on this book so far. Strongly disagree. I do okay. think if I had to read it in its original French, I would not like it as do much. Do you speak French? I, no. Speak no. French. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's probably why, why he wouldn't, very like, hard. It. Probably why he wouldn't very like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Nick, let me tell you a story about what happens in this book, okay? In this book, a pilot crashes in a desert, um, in the Sahara Desert, and he, just when he thinks that all hope is lost, he meets a very little prince. And when I say little prince, I think, I'm afraid you're thinking of like a little boy. Or a person clad in purple. Mm. Strumming a guitar. a tiny little prince playing a really cool looking guitar. That'd be, be very different. I would love that. Has anyone, <laughs> hey, let's Joe, write this that is a sidetrack. Has anyone ever d- redone this with like just the art? With Little Prince. Just like the art featuring Prince? I think maybe after we're finished with Too Many Butlers, this I think that might be a nice Little project. Prince. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Oh, God, do I love little it. Prince. <laughs> Can we make it shorter? <laughs> Short. It's just busy. Let's publish it in Icelandic. Okay. So this prince is very little, <laughs> Nick, and he asks this man, this pilot, to draw him a sheep. Wait a That's minute. It. Wait a minute. This yep. guy crashed a plane in the middle of a desert. Crashed a plane in the desert. Prince comes over with his mm-hmm. guitar, and he's Tiny like, draw prince. me a picture. That's actually the most <laughs> prince, prince thing ever. It it's is. A very, it's a it very is. prince thing. Well, first he would say, let's play some basketball, and then he would say, draw me a picture. Right. Yeah, it might get a little. I, I, so I've never thought of like Prince, the artist formerly known as Prince, um, <laughs> is part of, of this. The show. But I'm kind of wondering if a lot of this actually seems like something that Prince would do. So I'm going to list off this stuff, and you guys just kind of keep a mental track. Oh, maybe this would could Prince be would do Prince this? do this or not? This is a good would game. Prince do this? Yeah. Okay, over the next eight days, the narrator tries to repair his plane, and the prince tells him his life story. Uh, You see, the little prince is not from Earth. He's from a different planet. His planet is very tiny. It is just him on it with three volcanoes. One of them is inactive and a flower. Okay, when was this book written? Because it sounds (laughs) like this is actually just about prince. <laughs> this book was written in 1943, predating Prince by quite a bit. How old is Prince? Hmm. How, like when did he? When was he born and stuff? Yeah, I'm do some. Let's I just, mean, no, well, I think we should really just need to move on here. What? Um, I'm sorry. I'm curious if he based him his whole persona off of this book, and I'll be finding that out while you're talking. I'll obviously be listening too. Joe, go ahead. Fantastic. Maybe he, Prince is an octopod or whatever stupid things <laughs> were in Ian's book. <laughs> All right. Over uh, the seven, actually. Over the eight days that this man is repairing his plane, the prince tells him his life story. And basically his life story is, I was on this planet. I was just a little prince. I was taking care of my volcano. I met this flower. The flower was really beautiful. And then at a certain point, I left my planet and I traveled to all these other planets and I met all these other people. So on this one planet, I met this king, but the king didn't have any subjects. He just walked around that saying he was a king, he was a king, and that people had to do what he said. 
on the next planet, I met this entertainer and the entertainer, he would only listen to praise. Like he would only like wanted you to say nice things about him on the next planet. I met a drunkard who drank all day to forget the fact that he was a drunk. I met a businessman on the next planet who just counts and recounts and catalog stars. And then he writes the slip on a piece of paper and puts it in the bank. I met a lamp lighter on a planet so small that he had to extinguish and relight a lamp every 30 seconds because that's how often the sun went up and down. So you get the feeling of this. Like we get this survey of all the planets that the little prince goes to and all these little, um, the, the word that comes to mind is apocryphal, but I don't think that's right. All these little like symbolic representations of people that he met. Yeah. Simplified representations. Yeah. Okay. And the heart of this, as he's telling the, the crashed pilot, this story is he's really talking about like the lessons that he learned along the way. All right, lay them on us, Joe. We're ready for some lessons. These are the three themes from this book. These are the three lessons to take away from this book, Nick. And I think all three of them are good. And I think this is what really sets it apart from something like Jonathan Livingston Livingston Siegel or The Alchemist, where Ian and I kind of look at those and arch our eyebrows and go, "Mm, this advice seems dumb. I really dig these three lessons. Lesson number one, grownups are unable to perceive important things. So when we're a kid, we can see the world for how it is. When we're a kid, we have eyes that take in wonder and we are questioning things and the world is mysterious. Mm-hmm. As we become grownups, we lose that ability. And time after time in this book, we see grownups who are unable to see things that are important or true or interesting. I don't know. I just have some problems with that right off the bat. Like, what do these kids know that we don't? I, you know what I mean? Like, I've never met a, a little kid that was smarter than me ever. Like, ever. <laughs> there's a, on one planet that he arrives on, there's a train condition. Conductor, right. And the train conductor is like very busy, like ushering the trains like to and from and they come flying past. And the prince is like, why are they in such a hurry? And the train conductor says, well, none of them know why they're in such a hurry. And he says, where are they going? And they and he just says somewhere, but where they are. And then they ask, he asks about the kids on the trains and the train conductor says, you know, the kids are the only ones who ever look out the windows on these trains. Right. The kids always have their like faces pressed up to the glass. It's in praise of whimsy. Maybe it's in praise of whimsy. (laughs) Is this, in fact, in praise of whimsy, Joseph? Mm, Let me answer that with number two. Uh, Answering a question with a question. That is allowed on this show. Lesson number two. (laughs) One can only see with the heart what is essential is invisible to the eye. So you can only see with your heart what's essential is invisible to the eye. All right. Uh, what use? Okay. So follow your heart. Well, well, maybe, maybe the way to say this, there's stories about this writer, um, really painting over this phrasing, like really like painting, painting, painting himself over this phrasing. And that's the phrasing that he came up with in French, which I'm sure it like rolls off the tongue. Um, the way that I had this translated, the way that I took it when I initially read this is, oh, the important stuff in life is invisible. Right? The important stuff in life is invisible. Like wind. Mm, good, right? Uh, uh, the internet. Heat. <laughs> good. All right. And perspective number three, perspective changes things. I hate talking about this book with you two. <laughs> like, like Prince, who is invisible. Uh, invincible. You mean invi- Prince is invincible. That's the difference. Yeah, that's what I meant. Thank you. Prince was invincible. All right. Bated breath. Number three. 
Perspective uh, number three: perspective changes things. Oh, that's a big one. Um, yeah, can that's you actually like kind of the point expound. of the kind of point of the point of my story too. Wait, yours has an alien that comes to the earth. Mm-hmm. He imparts Good. wisdom. He does impart wisdom. Oh. Nobody knows what he wants. Whoa. Like he's on Earth, and the pilot Dude. is like, "I don't know what this kid wants." Are all little books the any, same? Are there any books that just have just ridiculously stupid aliens? Just like, how did they get <laughs> <Herder>. here? <laughs> Like, we need to take care of them. They are so unintelligent. <laughs> I feel How are they alive? Like, um, I feel like District 9 has aliens which are kind of like refugees. Not stupid, but... Yeah, now, you're, now mm-hmm. you've just insulted all refugees. How do you feel about that, Ian? <laughs> uh, I feel like I didn't do that, so I'm not bothered by it. <laughs> wow, you, how do you even sleep at uh-huh. night? Um, okay, that's a good one. That's a good example off the dome, Ian. Mm-hmm. Good. But okay. I, I'm going to Google stupid another book. <laughs> Joseph. Mm-hmm. Simple to the point. Simple to the point. A little, a little bit of a fable. I, let me tell you who this book is for, because that's that I think might clear up some of the shenanigans here, right? This That'd is be great. This is very firmly a children's book, right? Like this is a book that you are meant to read to your child. Um, in a New York Times review before this was published, uh, there was this op-ed that was published right before this came out and that said, what makes a good children book, children's book? And they used the little prince as an example in this. And he said, what makes a good children's book? The little prince, which is a fascinating fable for grownups, is a conjectural value for boys and girls of six, eight, and 10, but it might very well be a book on the order of Gulliver's Travels, something that exists on two levels. And then the publishers themselves, when they were asked, because they kind of had a hard time like figuring out how to pitch this book, when they were asked whether it was a book for children or adults, they promoted it ambiguously. And they said that as far as they were concerned, it was the new book by St. Exbury, adding that on its dust cover, quote, there are few stories, there are a few stories in which some way, in some degree, change the world forever for their leaders. This is one. Yo, why, why is this? Yep. So you, you kind of answer. So that, is that why this book is so loved? It's uh, just makes you think a little bit different. Why is it? Is it hated too? Well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there are haters of this book. I guess the first I was familiar with this book is I received a copy of it for for Christmas or maybe like a high school graduation. It was something like that from a French student that we were hosting, right? Like my family has hosted foreign exchange students my entire life. We had hosted a French student and I got this as a gift from her family for, I want to say graduation. And it is the kind of gift that you give to people. It's the kind of thing that can hit you a little bit differently at different times of your life. And especially when you're at a, a very malleable moment in your life, like the end of one era as you look into another. It's a book that reminds you of like the little stuff in life that's awfully important, right? Like it feels in a lot of ways like a commencement speech. It feels in a lot of ways like a Dr. Seuss book might, right? Like a a book that is for children ostensibly, but really contains these absolutely eternal truths inside of it. It's also a book that's beautifully written and really charming. Um, The author did all of the art himself, but he kind of talks about how he wasn't that good of an artist. And in fact, a lot of the book for the art for the a lot of the art for the book was um, found 
like on the back of napkins that he had done at bars or crumpled up on the floor of his airplane. Uh, he was an aviator for the French Air Force during World War Two. Um, so like they actually found some of the art crumpled on the floor of his airplane and they were like, hey, this is for that book. We should probably put it in there. So, Joe, not to beat this dead horse, and if you want to move on from this, you can just mm-hmm. ignore this question, but... You you compare this to Alchemist, and you say it's better than Alchemist. I, I contrast no, 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 yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Alchemist. You, you you put it in conversation with Alchemist. And you say this is yep. better than Alchemist because, as I as I hear it, you agree more with the 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 claims that it's making. Like you like its messages better than you like the messages that, that the Alchemist makes. I think what the Alchemist has in it is uh, Quello's argument as to what makes you successful in life. And it, and it's very, I don't want to say material, although I do think that's part of it in The Alchemist, right? Where it's kind of this idea of like drawing like richness to yourself. One of the things that Little Prince has, when you read this book, it feels incredibly wise. Like it feels like there is like the truths in this book are simple and universal in a way that they're very, very difficult to disagree with. So when I say, for example, number two here, one sees clearly only with the heart, what is essential is invisible to the eye. Like, I think that's an idea that we all identify with. And it's supported by a couple different like fables inside of it. Like at one point, um, at one point, the little prince meets a fox, right? And the fox is like, oh, I would really love to be tamed, right? Like, like I'm a wild fox, but I would really love to be tamed. And the little prince is like, well, why would you want to be tamed? Like, doesn't that come with a lot of problems? And the fox is like, well, here's the thing. To, to me right now, you're a little boy and you are no different than all the thousands of the other little boys. And I'm a fox and I'm no different than the thousands of other foxes. But if you tame me, right? And we kind of have this relationship. Now we are different, right? Like now we are important to each other. And even though I'm a fox and you're a little boy, now we're meaningful to one another. You're a little boy that matters. I'm a fox that matters. And what a tremendous gift that we can give each other is kind of what the fox says here. Sounds and like I a think nice that's, little lesson. It, well, and this book is full of those nice little lessons, right? Like, and I think like when you read this, whether you're eight years old or 28 years old or, or 58 years old, I think you can't help but be warmed by those little lessons and think about your own relationships that you have with people, your own foxes or, or little boys that you, okay, that's oh, fine. No. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> but your own relationships that you have with people and your own, you know, like rose in a field of roses that feels special to you. Maybe I have some distaste for, or some wariness of the, Fable as expressing some kind of universal truth. You know, Where, well, whereas, so it's so like maybe part of my issue with The Alchemist was that not just that I disagreed with its stupid ideas, its stupid messages, but the idea that you can use fiction to say something about everything ever, forever, all at once. Well, I, I think, so when I say Dr. Seuss or when I say the Lorax, we, we don't really rebel against that. That's like, true. And I think that's, that's because true. it's something like we grew up with it and it's like, well, yeah, the Lorax, obviously the right. Lorax. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, but then there when are you, some things that have been rebelled against when it comes to Dr. Seuss. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. So, so maybe it's just a matter of like cultural, 
cultural perspective. Maybe it's just a matter of like, this is not a fable that okay. we grew okay. up okay. with, okay. so it does not feel uh, universally true to us. Ooh, how do the French view this? Good question. Oh, they, oh, bon ami. Oh, 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 very yeah, good. That, that's, there go that, our French audience. <laughs> listener. Sorry, guys. This is interesting. So, so bonjour. I've always kind of thought of this book as literature with a capital L. And I would mm-hmm. not necessarily say that I would think of, say, Dr. Seuss's literature with a capital L, though, though yeah. you know, that yep. these are stupid, arbitrary distinctions. Maybe this is sure. it. Maybe maybe this is the root of it. And and you're suggesting that maybe we should be a little bit more open-minded, that a book can be high art and also have concrete, universal messages about the human condition and our value and relationships in the world. I I. I mean, yeah, okay. I think that thing can obviously happen. I, I mean, like, I think a lot of, yeah, I don't know if I totally understand because I think a lot of like literature with a capital L obviously talks about like our relationship with the world and like our relationships with one another. But it's not, it's not explicit, I guess is my point. Oh, right. Where this is like, hey, let me tell you right, what this important. is it. Okay, this is it. Well, to be fair, this isn't, a, this isn't explicit. You do have to decode the Fox thing. <laughs> Ian. Hey. Aliens are Great. cool. Joe. That's true. Lessons are really mm. cool. And Prince. Every, everybody loves lessons and Prince. Mm-hmm. So I really see the value in both both um, corners of this literary ring. Ian, you lose. Um, Joe has my curiosity. Okay. Uh, Litheads, yeah. I would love it if you would head on over to our uh, website, uh, you don't know lit.com and request a sticker. We've been sending out stickers and pretty soon they'll be gone. So please do um, please do grab yourself a sticker. It's a very simple web form. You put your name and your uh, email and your address and uh, how many stickers you want. You can request up to five. And you know what? I'll, I'll tell you a little secret. If you want more than five, just complete the form again. And you can get more. Oh, <laughs> Uh, um, oh, wow. that's, it's a great, it's a great way. It's a great way to get, uh, your, uh, to, to show your, your, uh, lit head status. And they're also really sharp stickers. So you got that going for you. Um, you can sub- su- suggest a book or a theme on the, um, on the aforementioned website. Um, there's a button for that too. We've got a lot of themes, but you know, we're, we're working through them. So keep them coming. They're uh, great opportunities for us to learn yes. new things and new books uh, that we might not otherwise have read. If you can find us on all podcast players that you use and probably some that you don't Spotify, iTunes, Google podcasts, the rest, uh, you can, you can like us and subscribe us and five stars. If you desire, um, those are always nice to read when people say kind things about us. You could even try and review us on Goodreads. It won't work, but give it a shot if you're feeling bored. Well, let us know if it does. Yeah, we'd, we'd like to know. We'd really <laughs> appreciate kind of see if, if our hacks to their algorithm have have worked. Uh, recommend us to bookish friends like on uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, The Works. We appreciate you, Litheads. I appreciate Nick and Joe. Congratulations, Nick. Congratulations, Joe. This is the conversation between the boy and the fox that I was telling you. Are you going to tell us finally what does the fox say? I, you, we are about to hear it. What does tame mean? The boy asked. It's something nobody really thinks about, said the fox. It means to make a connection. Make a connection? 
Correct, said the fox. For me, you're a little boy, just like a hundred thousand other little boys. To you, I'm a fox, like a hundred thousand other foxes. We have no need of each other. But if you were to tame me, then we would need each other. You would be unique to me, and I'd be unique to you. I'm beginning to understand, said the little prince. My life is so dull, the fox continued. I hunt chickens, men hunt me. All the chickens are identical, all the men are identical. As a result, I'm thoroughly bored. But if you tame me, my life will light up. I'll recognize your footsteps from the others. While others' footfalls drive me underground, yours will draw me out like music. Look there. Do you see the wheat fields? Fields? Look there. Do you see the wheat fields? I do not eat bread. Wheats have no use to me. They remind me of nothing, and that's sad. But your hair is the color of gold. Imagine how it will be when you have tamed me. I will see the golden wheat and think of you, and the wind whispering through the wheat stalks will make me happy. What would I need to do? asked the little prince. You have to be very patient, replied the fox. First, sit some distance away from me on the grass. I'll look at you out of the corner of my eye and you'll be quiet. Words can cause misunderstandings, but each day you should come a little closer. So the little prince tamed the fox. And when it was time for him to to depart, I'm going to cry, said the fox. The fault is your own, said the little prince. I wished you no unhappiness, but you insisted that I tame you. Yes, said the fox. But now you're going to cry, said the little prince. Yes, said the fox. So it has done you no good. It has done me good. I can now appreciate the color of the wheat fields. (laughs) 